Hey, if you're an actor at the start of your career, or if you're an actor who hasn't started at all, no judgment. But I do want you to know that it has never been a better time to get started with Backstage. Just go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout for a 30-day free trial. That's 30 whole days you can browse through thousands of casting notices from thousands of filmmakers, producers, casting directors, all looking for talent just like you. Make a profile, upload a headshot, find out what kind of projects you want to be a part of. Backstage is where you book that very first role. It's also where you book that second role, and then that third role, and then you keep booking roles all the way up until you win that Oscar. And then you can come join me here on In the Envelope. We love a full circle moment here at Backstage. But first, you gotta subscribe. And again, that's 30 days free if you use the code word envelope at checkout. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E, envelope, 30 days free. Get those roles. And I'll see you back here when I interview you when you win an Oscar. And not wait. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. I feel like in many ways I'm only just starting to learn how to do my job properly. I think one of the reasons I really love my job is that I never feel like I've worked it out. So it's always scary to me in a good way. And every character I play seems to kind of ask me to do something different. Welcome to another new episode of In the Envelope, the actor's podcast. I'm your host, Backstage Senior Editor, Vinny Mancuso, and joining us for a chat today is the lovely, the great Elizabeth Debicki. And I'm sure many of you know Elizabeth from her truly, truly uncanny portrayal of Princess Diana in seasons five and six of Netflix's The Crown. That's a performance that just earned her Golden Globe and Critics' Choice wins. She has an Emmy nomination for season five and in a recent SAG Award nomination for season six. But you might also know Elizabeth from working with some of the best, biggest directors today in blockbuster projects. Uh, that includes Christopher Nolan's Tenet, two of James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy movies. She's completely gold in those, but she is fantastic in them. The criminally underseen Widows from Steve McQueen. She is great in that, alongside Viola Davis and Michelle Rodriguez. We dive pretty deep into the long road that got Elizabeth to this place, uh, all the way back to her training at the Victorian College of the Arts in Melbourne, Australia. Her first introductions to on-camera acting in Hollywood not long after graduating, all the way up to the enduring impact the crown and playing Diana has left on her today. Stick around to the very end if you want to hear just a bit about Maxine, 
Ty West's sequel to Pearl and X, which Elizabeth has a role in. Uh, very different from Diana, to say the least. It's a great, great chat with a true artist. Let's get right into it. Here is Elizabeth Debicki. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it is a pleasure to meet you. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm I'm a little bit jet-lagged. Very fair. I've just come from Paris, but... Oh, so very jet-lagged. <laughs> well, yeah, but the thing was, so I, was, I flew from LA and then I was in Paris for a hot second and then I'm back in the States. And so I kind of think I wasn't there long enough to adjust to a time zone. So I might be more just tired than jet-lagged. I mean, it's also fair. That's that's a lot of traveling in a very short amount of time. That's one of those things where you don't quite get jet lag, but you do get confused as to what day and time existence you're in. Yeah. I don't actually know the day of the week. It's Friday? <laughs> it is a Thursday. There we go. Um, I hate to bring it to you. It's not Friday. We have one more to go. No, it's a Thursday. Funny. It's just like, I think since I, just the last few weeks have just been so busy and even though I'm doing things every day, I seem to not actually know what day it's happening on. Yeah, I I, I have to imagine there's not um, a ton of time to like just stop, you know, like to be like, here's where I am, here's what I'm doing. It's sort of like boom, boom, boom to the next thing. Um, yeah. And there's no really time to like take stock of where you are or, or what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. I'm cr- I'm crawling into a little bit of time right now where I'm going to try and stop for a second and take stock. Although that presents its own challenges when you've been going so quickly. I find mm-hmm. I find it very difficult to it's like you you can't just sort of like slam you, you feel like you're just kind of slam into a wall, but you're you're still kind of running at the same it's really you know, it definitely takes a few days, which is mm. usually. I was reading some article the other day that was sort of saying, like, I don't, and I probably didn't read the whole of it. <laughs> so, like, what is the ideal length of a vacation? And the end of the article was kind of like, well, we don't actually know. But I think it was something around like two and a half weeks it takes the body to, you know. Mm. And who has that time? I was going to say, I've never done that. So I'm, yeah, terrible at taking vacations. But anyway. Such a ramble. That was the rambliest oh, answer to your question. No, we love a ramble here. Uh, anytime you feel like rambling, please. Uh, I just want to give people a bit of context as to what we're talking about. This has been quite the week. Uh, you uh, won a Golden Globe. Uh, you yeah. won Critics' Choice. Uh, and you got a SAG nomination. Yes. All within the last two-ish weeks. Yeah. Three-ish weeks. Um, and some of them were for some seasons of The Crown. Some were for others. Right. So it has been a very busy week for you. Yes, it has. It has. And then I went to Fashion Week for a minute, and that is like a whole, a whole oh, different wow. kind of energy. But no, it was, it was some very exciting, very fun, but very filled weeks in LA. And then in the, in dispersed in that was last year's Emmys. Yeah. Which happened on a Monday, on Martin Luther King Day. And I was like, I'm so confused. In my brain, these <laughs> things always happen on weekends. And I think from that point on, I was just thrown. It was yeah. last year's Emmys on a Monday, and my brain just spun out. Well, I, I, I think I saw you tell some outlet that a problem you were having was you weren't sure how to get the Golden Globe home. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering if you figured that out. Uh, have you I gotten haven't. the Golden Globe? 
No, it's in my agent's office. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure that out later. I asked her to babysit it for me and she said yes. I, I've got to figure it out. I have I've massive distrust of the UK. Um, I'm just going to put this into the universe by your podcast. Of the, of the UK... Um, Oh, I probably shouldn't say this because now they really will destroy everything. <laughs> Find your golden glow. Anyway, yeah, I just think, yeah, I, I get very nervous about sending things via mail into mm. the UK. I've had many, many sweet people say, oh, I just, you know, and then I wrap it up in six million layers of bubble wrap and I still, it still is smashed to smithereens. Yeah. And I try and bring this up as a point of like conversation constantly at dinners to like, do you guys have problems with DPD? And then um, <laughs> everybody seems to. So I'd like to be in some kind of petition to like investigate it. But anyway. Well, if we can, if we can change anything, thanks to this podcast, <laughs> it's the, the UK transportation system. And, uh, we absolutely mail. can't change that. It is. Um, yes. No, there are many things about England that one cannot change. I've learned after <laughs> living there for eight years. I love that. Um, I guess we should probably talk about acting um, at some point in this podcast. I'm very excited to talk about, you know, stuff like The Crown and everything that's happening now. Yeah. But, you know, here at Backstage, we'd love to hear about the journey, how you got here. Uh, go back yeah. to, you know, the beginning. I do know that uh, you weren't always an actor uh, and it wasn't, you know, your earliest thing. I, I think I read that the one play you did in, you know, early school was... Alice in Wonderland. That was the only school you did, uh, only play you did before college. Right. Yeah. Um, a gripping role. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say that's a big <laughs> lead role in your first thing. Was there anything that sparked in that moment? You know, I, I I think I've read that there wasn't any light bulb moment you had that you were like, I'm gonna become an actor. But what do you remember from your sort of first taste of it? Well, it's actually there were some light bulb moments, and and they were kind of dispersed and. My, so my parents were both by trade, by profession, were dancers, and they both had trained as classical dancers and then had these pretty extraordinary kind of journeys around the world, dancing for different, um, in the 80s, kind of different companies, and then musical theatre stuff and then cabaret stuff. And So I grew up in a house with two very thespian sort of driven parents. But that mm -hmm. also gave me uh, the, I think when you grow up with parents, who were jobbing dancers or actors, there, there's this kind of reality to that profession, which is that it's a calling and it's something you love, you know, despite the difficulties of it or the insecurity of it. But also it's it's hard and it's financially very difficult to support a family in that way. And for my parents too, they had this kind of finite, it's so brutal on dancers, I think, it's sort of once the body can't take the impact of the of your vocation anymore it's like what do you do and so i grew up in a house that was very artistic and creative my parents took us to see a lot of dance my dad worked in a theater and he used to kind of quite literally kind of smuggle us in the back of the theater and mm -hmm. so from a very young age um i was exposed to a lot of dance not theater I, we, we never really went to see plays so i was always seeing things without language and and I was asking wildly, like probably age inappropriate things too, which is great. My little brain was really, but the first time I was seeing like a play play, my mum took me to see production of The Seagull with Sam McKellen in it. And mm. I remember really distinctly sort of that being a moment of kind of like a very different theatrical experience, albeit I was far too young to really understand what was happening in the play. 
you know, and then I kind of went along and I, wa- I wanted to, I was always on stage because I was a dance kid and we were doing, you know, we called them concerts, but you, oh, recitals, I think is the word in America, like recitals. And I loved being on stage. It brought me great joy and it was so exciting. And you know, like dance, you know, when you're a kid and you're doing dance and it's like the most important thing that anyone's ever done and you know and you're and you obsess about it and you're a total perfectionist and but you get this real thrill so i had that all through my childhood and then i went to a school that didn't have a lot of theater kind of embedded into it it was a big music school and i did mm-hmm. not really play the instruments so i felt quite sort of on the periphery of that and then this wonderful drama teacher came to our school named mr borbley daniel borbley who was you know i was 15, so he, he felt ancient to me. He's probably my age, probably 33 <laughs> or something. And it was just this beautiful teacher who had all this energy and like tried to reinvigorate like the drum department. Hence the first thing he ever did, I think, which was Alice in Wonderland. And it was yeah. just this kind of hokey school play. And But it meant a lot to me. And I went along with my kind of academic. My parents were very keen on me be, you know, going to sort of university and having a degree um and so i did i did all of that and but i also kind of i also kind of signed up to audition for acting schools and i was doing my end of year exams my end of high school exams and i also was like running from my french exam to my drama school auditions and the school that ended up accepting me was the school in my home city in Melbourne at the VCA, which was at that time kind of still like a very vocational training. I don't know what it is like now, but it was a wonderful place to go to school. And I, and I sort of, you know, I got accepted at the same time that I got my, I got accepted into universities and I just, it was just a fork in the road. And I went towards this thing that called me that I loved. And, um, I think it was really difficult for my parents, bless them, like really quite heartbreaking because I mm-hmm. think they'd dreamed, they'd worked very hard to send us to these good schools and they really wanted me to have a quote unquote normal job. And I, yeah, I think it's very stressful for, for people, especially people who've been creatives and, you know, and had, had been in that struggle, job to job, hand to mouth kind of struggle. And then your kid turns around and says, oh, I, by the way, I want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. which is what happened when I was about 16. I sort of said, I actually ended up, I graduated high school a year younger than my class because I, I started school in Paris, in France, not in Australia. So I was pretty young to finish school. And, yeah, about a year before I finished school, I, I said to my mum, oh, my God, I've, I figured it out. I want to be an actor. And she very, sort of, like, didn't respond to it at all. Mm-hmm. I think her way of dealing with it was just to just block it out. And so, yeah. Yeah, hence why I just kind of did the applications and yeah, and Daniel Borbley, shout out to Daniel Borbley. He is such a good theater teacher name. <laughs> such a good theater teacher. You can sort of see him like Absolutely. he is who you picture, and just like more energy than you than can like be housed in the human mm-hmm. body, and so good to his students. And I'd never done a monologue in my life, which of course is what you have to do when you audition for drama school, which if you're if you're auditioning in your mid twenties and done a bunch of stuff already, and I guess you'd know how to approach it, but I had absolutely no idea how to do something in verse. I had no idea how to just do a monologue, you know. And he, I remember, he on his time sort of said, 
meet me in the auditorium and he sat there with me and he went through the auditions and I chose like a completely inappropriate piece. I, You're young and you just think acting is like the more suffering you can. Do you so remember like, what it was? Yes, I, I did. I did Harper and Angels in America. I was like 60, 17. Yeah. I was like, That's I know of, what I should do. A lot of life experience. <laughs> yeah, a valley of addicted housewife who's suffering. Yeah. It, and I was like, that's perfect. Of course, like I went in and, you know, the audition, the panel the, on the first round was sort of like, maybe when you come back for your callback, you should do something a little age appropriate because you're a child still, you know. And I also did Viola from Twelfth Night, which was, is such a lovely monologue when you're for, for young people. Mm-hmm. I think it's like got such a great energy in it. But that's the ramble of the beginning of me deciding to be an actor. Well, I love that. I'm I'm curious how then you went about learning how to act. You know, I you 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 obviously you went to the Victorian College of the Arts and you were you were learning acting. So I'm yeah. curious, do, were you drawn more towards learning through experience or was there any sort of, you know, technique or class or framework that helped or was it a combination of the two? A combination. I mean, the school that I went to VCA had a very particular teaching methodology, which is a very interesting methodology. It was created by a wonderful acting teacher, lecturer named Lindy Davies, and she sort of devised a methodology that was, it's it's a little bit complicated to explain, but the objective of, of it, retrospectively looking back at it, while you're in it, it's just like this kind of, you're in this like trance of learning all these different things. But looking back on it, it's really just about trying to sort of let or encourage the actor to include the body in language, to create a connection between language and body and therefore opening up to sort of enormous imaginative, expansive connection to language and storytelling, not uh, as opposed to a methodology that might ask you to root your understanding of the text in something that's already existing in your emotional memory, language, landscape, or a training that is very cerebral in its sort of textual analysis. So really it was a very physical training which suited me. Not that I knew anything. So I absorbed everything just like a sponge because I'd never been in an acting studio before. But I also think coming from having done so many dance classes as a kid and Mm -hmm. been so in a dance studio for so much of my life already, a physical training really suited me. And I appreciate, and I still, when I think about, I think about it as a, an approach, um, particularly for theater, it, I, I, I sort of adore what it allows the actor to do or it's, you know, intention is to just, for you to never be reducing something that is actually much more exciting and expansive than you can possibly already know, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. And also a lot of training around impulse. It's It was a very theatre training, I should say. We never did anything in front of mm-hmm. a camera, never film or television oriented at all. So it's really just training actors to be on stage, really in their body, very intuitively responding to language and and a kind of lovely freedom in the sense of like life is always weirder. People are stranger than you could conceive of. So mm-hmm. like go far in your creation and interpretation of text and character because 
commitment is this sort of key to truth, you know, and that's a, that was the sort of concept of the training. And it, it was it's a it was such a lovely way to learn. And I think for some it works for some worked for some people and didn't for others, but I love it and I look back at it so fondly with just it was very joyful and um I mean don't get me wrong, like I was terrified I was gonna fail all the time and but but it was quite you know, I think acting school sometimes they have this reputation in a way of like being so hard on people and they can make people feel so, you know, it's it's this kind of like you know, this idea of like oh you get sort of get broken down by acting school and then which just seems to me like just so counterintuitive because act- acting is so vulnerable and you have to feel safe to do it. And of course, a university course where you pass or fail is not really the place where you can yeah, you're literally, literally get a grade. Yeah. Well, it's it's so interesting because I I feel like I've heard so much, so many different answers about acting school. You know, from the entire end of the spectrum, and I, I do think it's interesting that a lot of the advice that people give sometimes about the industry is you know you have to develop a thick skin, but Kind of like you you mentioned, it's actually the opposite. It's better to give people the space to to sort of keep their skin thin because it's it's part of the job. It's it's is is right. empathy and, and and feeling these things. And it sounds like that was sort of what you were encouraged to do in this sort of in this environment. I think so. I mean, they weren't so much worried about our mental health. I won't I won't lie, but but they were they were curious about mm-hmm. about our our. Yeah, just the expanse of what like an actor's imagination and brain can do and and their bodies too. You know, a lot of the training was we had a, a movement coach, not coach, a movement teacher, and she trained under Jacques Lecoq for many years. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of like our physical training was clown-based and mask-based and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's absolute hell on earth when you're doing it in <laughs> class and you're just dying, you know, you know you're not doing it right. No, your clown's not good enough with all these things. But I look back and see, like all things, you know, when time passes, you look back and you think, oh, that's what they were trying to teach us. And there's great value in that. And um, yeah, and I guess, you know, in terms of what you were saying about, you know, the thickness, thinness of the skin, I guess any director I've ever worked with that is really an excellent director. Mm-hmm. And, and usually that comes in tandem with them being wonderful human beings too fully completely understand that it's their job to create an environment where the actor feels safe to mm-hmm. be vulnerable otherwise it's sort of not worth really you know yeah otherwise it's you just invite all kinds of bad bad things like self-awareness and things like that yes which self-awareness is the killer <laughs> that's that's the thing you don't you do not want <laughs> while you were at pca i think you were you did stuff like the black sequin dress much ado about nothing i believe you also did uh the hollow stuff like that you're like um, you're absolutely like lighting up bits of my brain that I've been doing. <laughs> well, I I was hoping that to sort of just ask what you remember. You know, this is more of a general question. The formative moments of doing these these early uh, mm. these early shows. Well, what what were some things from these early shows that were that were sort of you know stuck with you and and have mm. helped throughout your career? I've known to ever asked various things. This is so nice. Um, <laughs> actors loved. We love talking about ourselves. Um, well, they were all. I mean, also, one of the things that was great about the school was that they used to get in lots of really interesting guest directors who they specifically would choose. They would work from such different entry points into directing, mm-hmm. which was 
great because by the time you graduated, you'd run this gamut of like really different processes with text. And so when we did Much Ado, I remember that being, that was my first kind of lead part. Mm. And I was very excited, but terrified. And I thought I didn't, you know, all the time I thought, all the things you think in drums, could anyone understand me? Is it, can anyone hear me? You know, it's, it's also so technical. The first time you take on a Shakespearean lead like that, you're just terrified. And, but I did, I did have a, that was a very kind of like um, traditional production in a way. And uh, I do think I got, I managed to convince the director to let me wear rollers, like rollerblades a bit of it, but um <laughs> In it's the, not like, traditional. In, in the washing, you know the, the the scene where she's kind of listening to him, yes, yeah. washing, yeah. And that was, I mean, I loved it. It was, but it was a very traditional sort of rehearsal, teching, just teaching us the basics mm. of like, if you worked with a director who's going to approach things from quite a technical, traditional way, this is what the process is. And then we did that. I oh, God, I haven't thought about this for so many years. We <laughs> Daniel Schlissel was the director of this play, The Hollow, that was an adaptation, I think, of an Agatha Christie novel. And he worked, he was kind of like this legend and and is a really fantastic human and who I've not spoken to for many years. And really for us just felt so avant-garde. The the process was really just about having the source material and then letting actors <laughs> in acting school improv and create various moments that then sort of on a whiteboard sort of got strung together and you create the play that was just heaven for me that part i played the murderess and like all great christy novels that's you know the last person you expect and it was glorious i'm a, i think her name was gerda or something and i was a bit pregnant and you know really she was always playing it being really behind the eight ball and really it idealistic and loved her husband and you know of course the whole time I got to sort of like double negative everything I was doing and and it was just so fun to improv and God, I honestly haven't thought about that for so long and the set was completely interactive like there was a hot tub and there was fridges and the, you know all these things that when you're a drama student just to have the the budget to create a set like mm-hmm. that and work with your crew like that was just it's just so much fun we just you know had a good time I wish there was some record of, of you as Gerda in the hollow somewhere. Uh, but. Honestly, honestly, I think I think you and I would sit down and laugh. It would just be so, <laughs> and I I can't quite remember now, but I feel like the whole, the gag was the pregnancy wasn't actually real. Mm. And so I think it, the bump was like not big enough for my acting of the, pre- like how heavy the pregnancy was. And that was part of the audience's growing suspicion. And it was just all this weird, great stuff we we did. But that was so validating as an actor to have a director come in and say like, oh, your instincts on this weird gag that you're creating here are um, interesting to watch, you know, because a lot of acting school is someone telling you that's not how you do Ibsen. So. I love that. I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned this was not a, there was very little, if any, on camera, you know, TV, film work. You, you transitioned very quickly after college into film and TV work. So I'm, I'm curious about that transition. You know, was was that a new skill set you had to learn? Or did you find that that the transition was Better. not that rocky? You know, there was a, were the skills transferable, basically? Is what I'm it was a big transition. I didn't, when I, I did a very 
small part in an Aussie comedy film called A Few Best Men. And I had gone into audition to be the lead of it, you know, and then ended up getting the part of the secretary. And I think I had like two scenes and that was the first, you know, and so I think I ended up having like three days on that set. And that was the first time I was on a set and someone said to me, poor camera crew, <laughs> like just absolute rookie. They were like, this is a mark. You have to stand, you know. And um, don't move around too quickly because the focus puller can't catch you. And so that was like a few days of a crash course. And then I think what happened, and it was really the greatest blessing and just so fortunate for me, was that Gatsby was the next thing I did. And it was so, you know, really kind of heightened filmmaking. And we shot it in 3D and there was all this extra tech that went along with it. And But... It was bats. And so there was this inherent theatricality to and size and scale to both the production and the performances, I think. There's this like Baz, if if I can think of any director who welcomes I don't even know what we would call it, just expansiveness on screen. Playing playing to the to well beyond the camera. Yes, just sort of like he's not scared at all of like Mm -hmm. something that might you know, another director might, it might not be their taste to their taste or something. So I came onto set and I was, and I was housed in this cast of actors who were so experienced. Carrie was so much younger than, but is, has always been such a huge talent and, and such a quiet kind of precise professional actor. So I learned a lot from her, from watching her work and, and then there was someone like Leo who was just the most, it was wild to me to even just be on a scene with him. I was, you know, still quite starstruck when we were doing the work. But again, such a professional actor and had such a, a strong sense of his own process. And I just kind of watched everybody work and Toby and learnt from them, I think, as I went and felt very held by Baz. And like I said, the scale of things, I never felt like I had to sort of shrink anything down i also just had the greatest time making that film and um just the whole time couldn't believe that it was actually happening so it was quite free i think kind of like sort of getting some weird winning some weird lottery ticket and thinking well this will never happen again i'm just gonna absolutely like go to town and have the best time and not really think terribly much was sort of how I felt doing that job. I remember thinking, well, this will never happen again. So I'm just, just going to have a great time working with these people. And um, and to their credit too, I mean, and I'm, I must have seemed like such a rookie, but they never make me feel like that. They always make me feel very on the level. And yeah. Well, to jump forward a bit to The Crown, uh, I think that's a good place to do it because something I find so remarkable listening to, you know, talk about how, how being on a set with Baz is, is a good intro to it, to it. someone who's theoretically trained because it's Baz. But something about your crown performance is so many moments where you're sort of just existing on camera, you know, where you're just seeing Diana think or react or something like that. And that's something that I find remarkable in terms of like how you do that, how, how to just exist on camera, knowing there's a camera in front of you being present. So I'm curious, you know, where did you get comfortable enough to just sort of be on camera? I don't think it's really like a state that I've reached. I think it's like a constant 
constant sort of negotiation and a constant learning process for me. I feel like in many ways, I'm only just starting to learn how to do my job properly. I think one of the reasons I really love my job is that I never feel like I've worked it out. So it's always scary to me. It's um, in a good way. And every character I play seems to kind of ask me to do something different. And so that lack of um, comfort and repetition is probably that negotiation. And I don't think I have really an answer for that question. Maybe some people, I've heard so many, you hear so many stories and famous actors saying, oh, well, the camera's coming in and really I'm just wondering what's for lunch or, you know, or I'm thinking about this or that. Or, but I don't really have like a rules for that and don't know. That's probably a really unsatisfying answer, but um. <laughs> no, it's 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 sometimes something I find really interesting about talking to people about acting because there are definitely parts of it that are kind of hard to put into words or like because because yeah. I, I like I'm saying you you you're clearly adept at it and and the, the the work speaks for itself but maybe even you are not sure how you get to that place or how you, there's there's no rules there's no formula there's no one plus one equals two there's not and I think it's like it's also so much of a, a sum of its parts kind of experience every time you do this job because. First of all, there's the character which is dictating everything and it starts to kind of speak to you quite early on. If it's something you really feel like doing, it's kind of one of my favorite parts of the job is when you find something you really want to do and you start to, it's, it speaks very quickly to you. It sort of dictates a lot of things immediately about processes. And so that's so interesting. And then you kind of throw that conversation you're having with yourself into the mix of a completely different environment. Like, and you know, so something like The Crown was such a unique way to work. It was um, it was long, so there was this enormous time to live inside of that character. By the time you come back to do another season of television, you're so comfortable with your crew, so that adds this other element. You know them really well. It starts to feel, in the best way possible, like a day job, like this is this is what I do and I'm going to keep slipping into this place. And then we work with so many directors, but you know they're all very beautiful people on The Crown, which we were really lucky. And I think because with television too, when you don't have one director directing all of the episodes too, there's this, this sense that everybody's just kind of doing, it's like a big kind of puzzle and everybody's just coming saying like, this is my, these are my pieces and I'm going to tend to them and care for them. But then I'm also stepping away and kind of surrendering to what the puzzle ends up becoming. And I certainly felt like that on the crown more than I ha ever have, I think, in a job before. To the point where when I watched the crown sitting on my couch, I've never I've never seen the other scenes. Mm -hmm. And in an almost Shakespearean way, I don't necessarily even sometimes think, no, I've read them before, but I don't really even remember. It's not my story. It's not my piece of the puzzle. And so I get to kind of watch everyone's work. Oh, that's what they were doing over in Kent for three weeks, you know. But yeah, that environment was just very specific. And there was an enormous amount of trust there by the end of making it. And and I kind of adored TV for the reason, for the the kind of the luxury of time it gives you to work out how to do it. I've never I've never done something twice except the play. So 
it makes you realize when you shoot an independent film and you shoot it for five weeks, like it's just like it's nothing, it's so mm-hmm. quick, you know. I've I've talked to a lot of you know people who specialize in theater specifically, and I've, something I hear a lot is that they 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 feel like they're getting understanding the character better and better. Then they want to sort of leave it. They want to leave the perform. They want to understand the character better when they leave than they did when they first got there. Is it similar with sure. TV, especially with The Crown? Did you sort of feel like you understood the character of Diana and the real person better by the time you left the show than you did in the beginning, or did you get to a place where you really felt like you you were there? Well, I think a bit of both. I mean, there were there were so many. You know, the thing the thing that I realize now, looking back, because I haven't you know we wrapped it last. Yeah. April, just so it's coming on nearly a year, not actually being in front of a camera doing it. I realize now, looking back, that I actually never ever stopped trying to learn things, and so I was constantly, especially season five, in particular season five, because it was there were so many recreation moments. I always knew I was I'd climb one mountain of it, and then I'd be sort of like get to the bottom and look up, and I think, oh my god, the next one's even higher. You know, the next one's panorama. Right now, the hell do I do that? And, so there was um, there was just this constant kind of mining for things to not refresh, but like sort of deepen my, and sometimes just from a very technical standpoint, just deepen my my grasp of the voice or mannerisms. And I played someone over a span of seven years of their life. A lot changes in the way a person moves through the world in those years of your life and the way your physical experience starts to inform your body language. and So there was just always something more that I felt. And because of the totally unique premise of the job, there was available to me constant research to reflect back on what I was doing on screen. So it was this kind of constant, like kind of going back to the pot and I just kept stirring it and looking for things and thinking deeply about it. At the same time, there were there was a point, there were many points where I also stopped thinking in, in an analytical way or in a kind of, I just kind of would also allow myself when I started to trust myself to to not yeah, analyze as much. So it was a funny combination of those two things. I don't feel like I left the part and pennies dropped and I went, oh my God, that's what I, because I've also had that happen many times. I mean, like, Funnily enough, if I have it happen much more in theatre than anything, and I don't mm-hmm. know why that is, but do you do you get that from theatre actors often? You, you leave a. I think it's something to do with theatre being such a immediate, constant sort of immediate experience. So you're constantly just acting on impulse, but there's also so much adrenaline with theatre and on stage, mm-hmm. and that might maybe that's slightly blocking our access to things. I don't know, but I can't tell you how many times I've left a play and then. A week later, been sitting on the train and suddenly thought, oh my God, that's what that line means. I can't <laughs> believe I didn't figure that out. You know, how long did, and I must have sounded like I knew what I was talking about because the audience always would laugh. But then now I, you know, so I didn't have that happen with Diana. By the time I finished that, I, I remember thinking, I feel like I have sort of mined everything I was supposed to and I'm ready to stop experiencing character epiphanies. So yeah. That's really interesting because I've always I always wonder about, like you said, it's we have this sort of weird timing of you wrapped we're almost a year out from from when you stopped playing this role. And yeah. now you're sort of in a position where 
you have to talk about <laughs> you have to talk about the role a lot so yeah. i'm curious what that experience is like you know like you said like you have to stop mining <laughs> after a while but does, is what is the experience of discussing a role that you dug that deep into this yeah. long after you stopped digging into it well it's not entirely unusual because I think actors are often doing press for a movie that they shot a year, sometimes longer. You know? mm -hmm. That could feel that can feel very strange, kind of disjointed, especially if you've shot in the interim, you've shot like three other films, and then you because of the because of the year we've had two in our industry mm -hmm. with our strikes as well. I haven't been off making three other things, so it doesn't really feel that strange to talk about it and i have to say that to have work you do seen and that people care about it is something i will never ever ever take for granted as an actor i i just do not take it for granted that people one see it and two you know ha that it's started some kind of conversation whatever that is i mean the show can be very polarizing if you are a uk viewer so i am made aware by the media there but i think i'm sort of like well, that's kind of great too that's what work should do and yeah so i kind of just think it's lovely like i and and even sort of doing these sort of um like award ceremonies or being nominated for things that's so new to me in my life as an actor i'm very used to making work and then just sort of like going back underground and then do, making some other work and i have made lots of kind of bigger things and I've also made lots of smaller things and I've done plays and you just never know. Like I can't remember who I was reading an interview. I think it was an interview, Kirsten Dunst's interview around the power of the dog time. And mm -hmm. and she's an actress who I just I just she feels seminal to me in my sort of Absolutely. growing up and watching her work, but also just the scope of what she's done and just so many incredible performances she's given people and and she was sort of saying around the time, I was so glad that her work was being seen and that she had been nominated, but she was sort of saying the chances of like being in something that people like and watch and want to talk about is like lightning in a bottle. It's just so rare, you know, and um, and that's how it's supposed to be, you know, otherwise it, you would sort of, I don't know, you could potentially take for granted that, oh, yeah, I'm in something so people care. I mean, that's just not how it is. And it's and it, and been on both sides of that coin now and so. I'm happy that people want to talk about the show. As we sort of end the sort of wrapping up here, I do want to look a bit forward. I am a big fan of of Ty West's um, X, and I believe you are in Maxine. Yes. What is that like? What is that role? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, is there anything you can tell us about that? Because it's just it's a project we're very very excited about. Yeah. Well, I believe I'm allowed to say that I play a director. We know that it's set in the 80s in Hollywood, and Mia is at the center of it, of course, and she's amazing. And um, I just, Ty sent me the script. Um, I think I had just finished. I was wrapping up on The Crown, and he sent me the script, and I had seen Pearl, but I hadn't seen X. I don't usually watch horror-related stuff because I'm I like I'm more of a low-risk kind of viewer, um, low-threat, as someone once said to me, <laughs> which I adored. My costume, one of my costume fitters, 
um, on The Crown, she used to say to me, oh, no, 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 I can't watch that. It's too high threat. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good way of thinking about things. So I was kind of fascinated by the, I was sort of like, why is this extremely cool director wanting me to do this thing? And I read the script in, and this is to me always the kind of testament to a really excellent script when you actually just don't get up to make a cup of tea or something, you just read it the whole way through and you have a great time. And so I just, I just sort of loved it. I think it's going to be really, you know, very superstitious, but, um, yeah, I love I love working with him. I loved working with Ringer and I had so much fun. It was it couldn't be different, more different in tone than what I had been doing for a year on the crown. And uh it was sort of like a balm to me as an actor, like a tonic to just like go into something completely different. And I just had a ball really. It's such a great part. And I thought, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I didn't even think twice. And he's he's an amazing director. He's extremely very, very unique brain, very confident in the loveliest way, very sure of what he's making and very and really loves his actors and um lovely crew. Super fun. Love that. We're very excited. Um yeah. so as again, as we sort of wrap up here today, an attempt to sort of tie this all in a bow. You know, we talked about your earliest roles, stuff like the hollow, stuff like that. And I'm curious when you look back on that and sort of take this moment to take stock of where you are now. In what ways would you say that you're the same actor now that you were when you were in those plays? Hmm. Actually, it's quite a simple answer. I just took, I still really love doing it. It's still really interesting to me and uh, and I don't feel like I've worked it out. So that's exactly how I used to feel in drama school. And I didn't, I, d- I think I didn't really believe it could be a job that someone would pay you to do something that, you, that I love doing. It just felt like such a natural thing for me to kind of do. And uh, I still feel like that. And 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 I'm really so glad I still feel like that. It just brings me great joy. Every time I leave a job, I think, oh, well, that was nice. Let's, you know, like, I always feel the same way. I think, oh, well, will I ever work again? Let's see. And then when somebody asks me to do it, I'm just genuinely, I still get the same feeling when I come to work first day. I'm still really curious and I guess that's really just how I used to feel in in acting school too. It's such a funny job to do um, and it comes with so many highs and lows and you know massive chunks of I think when you look at anybody when you look at people's careers it's very easy to think you know to see them as this kind of ascent and that there's this kind of steady pace to it and it looks a certain way and of course it doesn't ever feel like that on the inside it's this real up and down rippling of self-worth and self-belief and and in those lower ebbs you know when i couldn't get a job for 10 months or whatever and i would be really scared that i couldn't do it again and all those ups and downs although i'm beyond incredibly fortunate to have had so many great jobs but yeah just really love it such a ramble today. I'm sorry. I'm so <laughs> Like tired. we said, we love the ramble. We love that ramble in particular. Um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here. I Like I said, I know this is a busy time for you, so to take any time to talk to us, uh, we really appreciate it. Thank oh, you so I much. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next to let us know? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.